Good evening. Well, the Canucks did not make it out of Calgary alive, and I only barely did. Just returned today from that fine city. That was quite the trip, and I'm going to tell you about my attendance at the Western Society of Pelvic Medicine, where female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgeons and I met for a long conference. I'm going to tell you all about that here on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show, the show where we educate men and women about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making relationships the best they can be. If it's the first time you're joining me, I'm Maureen McGrath. I am a registered nurse, sex therapist, have a keen interest in providing health education as it relates to sexuality and sexual health so that you can make the best decision possible in your life. That's really what it's all about. Um, but this weekend was, was a little tough. Honestly, I, uh, the hotel elevator lost its sensor, and I was smashed in between the doors. And uh, it was practically knocked down. I had the wind knocked out of me. But the worst of it was that my new trench coat, and that will apply to the story later, uh, got uh, stained. <laughs> a brand-new trench coat that took me about six months to find the perfect trench coat. Uh, so the hotel offered to send my coat out for cleaning because they wanted to make it up to me. So I said, sure, no problem. A few tickets to the game, and you will not hear from my lawyer. Boy, is my back killing me. Anyway, have I got a case for you. So it's about 2 o'clock in the morning last night, and, um, you know, when I'm not uh, learning <laughs> or having fun, so we did have a great time there while we were at that conference, I was viewing a TED Talk by Erica Lust called It's Time for Porn to change. Uh, she's the curator of Lust Cinema, which is feminist pornography. And she starts her TED Talk out with a vivid description of a porn scene. Late at night, it's dark, and and the couple that she's talking, and she's given the, an, an explicit description of what's going on, which I, I can't do for you, but I do suggest you go to that TED Talk, Erica Lust. I'm sure that's not her last name, but anyway, Mom, I'm going down to the Lusts for dinner. Anyway, uh, so she starts out her TED Talk with a vivid description of a porn scene late at night, and she says that the woman is performing this particular sex act um, to thank this knight in shining armor who has helped her with a flat tire late at night. Uh, so anyway... I then, in the interest of research, I go to her web website, which is Lust Cinema, and now it's about two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> all in the name of research. And uh, so I'm just looking at the site, checking it out, um, seeing how it may benefit patients. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door, and it is the bell captain from the hotel. Can you imagine this? Luke, the technical producer tonight, <laughs> and I got to talk to somebody. At two a.m. in the morning. <laughs> two a.m. The with bell, your trench coat. The bell captain with a hockey uniform on. Okay. Delivers my trench. No. Oh my god. <laughs> he did deliver my trench coat. But he didn't have a hockey uniform on. Um, but anyway, it made me think. <laughs> this is a whole new scene for the next, uh, the next movie on. <laughs> Erica Lust, Lust Cinema. Anyway, um, I digress, but it's fun. So he returned my coveted trench coat, and I will leave the rest up to your fine imaginations because it's great to have a great imagination to have a healthy sex life if you are interested in having sex, if you can have sex, if you want to have sex. Anyway, I thought that was the perfect scene, but uh, the rest is up to you. You need to have a uh, lot in your toolbox to have a healthy sex life. 
and sexual good sexuality and feel good about yourself sexually if that is what you seek some people do are intimate in other ways do not have sex and are quite happy with it if you are not bothered by the fact that you're not having sex you do not have a problem and i am not trying to pretend that you have a problem here. Anyway, uh, just to reiterate, Lust Cinema is an online movie theater which gathers the best in new adult cinema. It brings you fresh, aesthetic, innovative, and modern productions. It's it's feminist porn, quite honestly. And, it, and I think it's a good, uh, and I was talking about this with a lot of the physicians that I was with who see female patients, a lot of male physicians and female physicians. It's fine for the female physicians, and they were saying they're comfortable in suggesting porn to the female patients who have low sexual desire. But some of the male physicians found that it might be a little bit uncomfortable. So we were trying to think up some creative names for, um, <laughs> that's not, but that wasn't going to work, we realized either, like libido lifter. Um, but then once they went to the site, they would see that this is actually a porn site that gives you, you know, a warning. So um, then they would have to be, you know, going back to their doctor or they would be telling their friends, my doctor suggested that I go and look at porn and you know you don't know how that would be received anyway the reason that all of this is front of mind for me is I am speaking this week at the railway club a couple of blocks away from here about pornography hurtful or helpful and that's because of a recent research study that came out that said that debunks the myth that or debunks the theory that there is something called porn-induced erectile dysfunction. And porn can be therapeutic, and this these researchers have claimed that. So there's opposing views on that, needless to say. So the Company of Disciples has decided to hold uh, an event um, at the Railway Club because they hold monthly events about controversial issues. And they have a theist and an atheist there. And this on this evening, because I'm there, they're having two psychiatrists there as well. Anyway, I need all the help I can get. Uh, so it'll be a panel discussion. And, and I was really uh, happy that I I'd mentioned that I was speaking to some of my physician colleagues and allied healthcare professional colleagues. And they're going to join me, <laughs> I think. I'm not sure. They said they might. They wanted to. They're very interested in it. Um, so I'd like you to join me as well. The tickets are free. Best deal in town, and uh, you can give me a call if you want, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell, and I will buy you a burger and a beer uh, if you'd like to come to that event. I think um, I think it'll be a great event, and um, anyway, you know, can porn be one part of the armamentarium to help women uh, with their sexual desire? There's other things. Mindfulness, cognitive behavioral therapy is important. Being there in the moment, um, not thinking about something else or having your mind race. And that takes a lot of uh, practice to calm your mind down when you're when you're going to sleep. V-Love, of course, is a sexual desire gel and, a, and it's a lubricant as well. And so many women experience sexual pain during penetrative uh, sex. And that can certainly lead to low sexual desire as well. So there are lots of different strategies. Education is key. Explaining the female sexual response cycle. Explaining what is normal and what is not normal. Um, 
nothing's normal, basically. No. Um, there's a female sexual response cycle. We have responsive desire. People expect to be with the same person for 20 years and feel the same way about them, you know, 20 years down the road. Well, you know, the that, that hot, that that neurochemistry, that lust, that kind of flies out the window once the, you're paying the mortgage and you're dealing with all the troubles. And, and I have a great story um, later on in the program I want to share with you about kind of society's approach to um, making people, make, ensuring people marry the right people. Anyway, I, uh, myself and one of my colleagues disagreed on this, um, uh, this particular patient that I was telling him about. Anyway, you know, do you go with the one who is that you're attracted to and that you are desire and that you are um, have great chemistry with sexually, or do you go with the one who is going to be a great mother to your children and be able to balance the checkbook and and uh, is smart and is from a wealthy family? Anyway, uh, but you're really not sexually attracted to her. So, who do you choose anyway? Tonight in the program. Lots of different uh, subjects tonight, but right now, at the moment, I have Len uh, from Burnaby on the line. Hello, Len. Hi, Maureen. How are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? Good. That's good. So what can I answer for you? Oh, (laughs) you don't have a question, Len, huh? No. Did you call for? Oh, did you call for the burger? Yeah, for the <laughs> beer. Tickets. Okay, for the beer. tickets to the railway club. The railway club too. Oh, you love the railway club. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah, it's a great spot. Okay, so yeah, why don't you come down? Leave your information. Do you want two tickets? Uh, two burgers, two beers. It would be great. You got to bring somebody. Okay. <laughs> so just go there, and then it'll be organized. But leave your information with Luke, our technical okay, producer Marie, here. Have a great night. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, so tonight on the program, I'm going to be talking about men and women who have experienced trauma, and they quite often get PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. We often associate that with um, people who've gone to war, men who've gone to war, and women who have had uh, sexual trauma, like rape. Um, the But people with PTSD may actually experience sexual problems. There's some new research about that. Also, we've heard about... Bruce, we've heard about and we've heard from Bruce Jenner, um, but what about transgender children? Is it a phase? Tonight I'm going to talk to you about gender dysphoria. It's a feeling of extreme distress that happens when a person doesn't identify with the body that they're born into. And this gender dysphoria sometimes leads people to take steps to change their sex. It's not common, but it can be tremendously problematic for people in life. So they'll change their sex or become transgendered. Being transgendered is not a mental illness. It is a medical condition because it needs to be treated medically. And that wasn't available for people. And that's why we're seeing the increase or it wasn't available for children. And that's why we're seeing the increasing numbers because there are clinics set up to help these people. But these issues left untreated properly and not accepted by families and supportive families and friends can lead to mental health issues like any other situation you have in life where you feel you're being judged or you have shame. Um, and in fact, there's a shocking statistic that shows that a staggering 50% of young transgender people will attempt suicide by their 20th birthday, which is a, a societal nightmare. Also, another subject I'm going to be talking about, avoidant, avoidment attachment disorder. When someone gets close to you romantically, do you try and push them away? 
Well, there's a diagnosis for that. I've got a diagnosis for everything. But you know what? I like a prescription as well, so I'm going to give you that also. I'm also going to read your emails, which I really appreciate. And um, anyway, so when oh when we come back, I'm going to take all the callers uh, that I have lined up because i got to go to break at the moment. I am Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath, your host of the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Thanks for joining me tonight. If it's your first time, welcome. We talk sex here on the program and everything that's related to it, which is everything. Uh, but right now I've got a few callers on the line, so I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to talk to Kim. Hello, Kim. Hello there. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good. I was just wondering if I can get two tickets. I can't make it because, dang, I have to go to Mexico this week. Oh, my gosh. I feel so sorry for you. Thanks so much. (laughs) Um, But I want it for um, two girlfriends. Sure. If that's okay. So I'll have to get them to pick up the ticket. So I'll have to give their Well, they'll just just go to the railway club and then, you know, of course, I'll just be giving my credit card to the (laughs) bartender. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, just tell them to turn up CKNW. That's fine. Just all they have to do. Mention your name. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that's great. We'll have a great trip in Mexico. Thank you so much. I will try. All right. Yeah, I'm sure it'll and, be. Oh, by the way, yes. I really do love your show. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks Thank for calling, Kim. And now I have Rex on the line who actually has a question. Hello, Rex. Hello. How are um, you? Yeah, I'm reasonably well. Fabulous. And I've been pretty happy most of my life. Excellent. Outstanding. Uh, I heard, I heard you. I was sort of <laughs> noodling here, and I heard you something mention something about uh, uh, PTSD. Yes, I did. And um, I'm wondering now. I have been a first responder, but on a volunteer basis mm-hmm. for approximately 25 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been wondering about this, and I haven't approached my GP because I don't think he understands. Um, we, we, I never, well, I've, I've seen, uh, sudden death and I've, you know, but I've never done anything really, I haven't been in a firefight, but, um, we did a lot of training mm-hmm. and a lot of realistic training. Yes. And I'm wondering how does that affect me? Because there's things that, that, that I'm, I don't know. I mean, does that make any sense to you? It does, it does. But you've actually been exposed to some real-life traumatic events, correct? Only only one or two. And, you know, it was a sudden death. There's a guy who died of a heart attack. We went and had to, you know, take the body to the coroner and stuff like that. Um, there was no, you know, dead bodies that I had to pull out of the water or anything like that. Okay, so how but, have you had any symptoms um, related to this, because you sound actually pretty, pretty chill about it, pretty cavalier about the event, and that could just be that you have removed yourself from it emotionally. Well, you know, as a, as 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 a as a policeman, as a Coast Guard auxiliary, um, the black humor is there, and that's what helps us to get through the crap that we have to deal with. Right? I, I get it absolutely. And I'm just and the only point I'm asking about is because I haven't gone through a lot of the crap. I haven't, you know, like I said, no firefights, no, no real traumatic things. Right, but you but, witnessed a death, but training, and that's traumatic. But our, training, but our training was, we do training realistically. Mm-hmm. Like, we train as if it happened. Right. 
we train as if somebody was shooting at you. We train as if somebody held a gun to the back of your head. Right. And we train with our friends, our fellow police officers. Um, but we train as if it's going to be real life. But the thing is, I think the difference is that it you know that it is not real life. And therefore, that reaction um, doesn't occur because you're prepared for it. So it's not really it doesn't qualify and i'm not a psychiatrist i just play one in vancouver on the radio uh <laughs> but my my what's that i'm just i'm just saying okay so this was my question because yeah there's certain things in my life that 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 i think well i wonder if that relates to that well let me tell you most people who've experienced a traumatizing event will not develop ptsd People who experience the assault-based trauma are the ones who are more likely to develop PTSD as opposed to the non-assault-based trauma, like like witnessing trauma, fire accidents, events like that, you know, witnessing things. So they're less likely to. But you can have kind of an initial reaction to those types of, of events initially. But do you have any symptoms? Oh, that's what I'm asking you. Do you have any okay, recurring okay. flashbacks? What, what, what symptoms? Recurring uh, flashbacks, yeah. avoidance behavior, numbing of memories of the event, hyperarousal, um, you know, where you're on, you're, you're on guard. You might have skin stinging or like jumping, the doorbell rings and your legs jump or anxiety, I, inability to sleep for more than a month after the occurrence of the traumatic event. So, Well, and in a minor way, I think that all of those things occur to me, but in a minor way. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I don't, I don't flash, but you know, I, I saw a training scenario where we used a rubber knife and the rubber knife stabbed my friend three times. You know, one guy was playing a bad guy. One guy was being the good guy. And I saw it happen because I was watching from afar. Right. And I thought, and so, and that, yeah, that continually uh, resonates. So it's not, it's not, no, I don't, I don't. Okay, so I well the I first should, thing I, I think you you know you should go to talk to your GP. That's where you should go first. Your your family yeah. doctor. He knows you best. Go to talk to him, her, him or her, and discuss uh, your symptoms, and then yeah. they can lead you down the right path. GPs, my GPs don't have time. They you know. Oh like yeah. Well, you can book an extra appointment and pay a little bit for it, or you can see a okay. psychologist or. Yes, okay. but it, it that, requires well, that a little more. That was my more. question, and, and that's, well, a, that's, a, that's a good, good. Thank you very much. For you're that. very welcome. Thank you for your call. Thanks. All right. Okay. All right. Now I have Dennis on the line. Hello, Dennis from Poco. Hi. How are you? Hamburger business. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I just caught part of part of you talking about uh, Bruce Jenner, and I yes. caught part of that interview on the radio the other day. And something I thought that was odd was the girl asked him if he was gay. Right. He said no, but he wants to become a woman. Will right. that make him a lesbian? You know, <laughs> it's a great question. And in I, fact, I, I, I went a hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> you, went, you went a hot dog, too. Uh, <laughs> um, it's a great question because it's he identifies as a woman. He is transitioning to a woman. So as a woman, is he attracted? That That's the question. And we really don't know the answer yet. But my uh, other transgender patients that I have had, when they have transitioned, they are heterosexual as so, for example, one went from male to female, and has had a number of relationships with men. So she is heterosexual. 
I think sexuality is fluid. I think it crosses, um, you know, we're, we're in, through exploration. And, um, you know, I think we, he may, she may need to try things out. He will be she, you know, fully. Um, so she will try and what works for her and what, who she is attracted to um, once the changes have occurred. So I, I, I'm not sure we actually know the answer to that yet. Are you there? Oh, we lost you. Okay. Well, I didn't even get to my next subject yet, but since we're on the, since we're on this subject, I'll read an email to you and then I'll try and answer it when I come back. Hi, I listen to you every Sunday and I finally got the nerve to email me, email you. You don't need nerve to email me of all people. I am 57 years old and have over the last few years started to dress as a woman when time and secrecy would allow it. As long as I can remember, I have fantasized about what it would feel like to be female. I have a couple of female friends who I've confided in and I go out for lunch with them and dress. I find it to be very exciting, yet I'm always afraid I will get found out. My wife does not really approve of it, so I keep this a secret, and it's tough to live this way. My girlfriends are no longer available for our outdoor encounters, as one has just had a baby, the other moved. My wife has been away recently, and I've spent much of it dressed up in various outfits putting that I've put together over the past few years. I love high heels, the feel, the look. It just makes me feel... Me want to wear them as often as I can get away. Do you have any knowledge of where I might be able to go to meet other cross-dressers or advice on this subject? When I return, we'll talk about that. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show here. And we're talking about a lot of different subjects tonight that um, we don't often talk about. I, I often say to people, I talk the taboo. Because I think it's healthier to get these things out and have a discussion about them and a dialogue and, you know, get your feelings. Know that you're not alone. You're not the only one that feels this way or has had this experience. Before we went to break, I read an email from a gentleman who, for the last uh, few years, started to dress as a woman uh, when time would allow it. And is loves heels, loves to dress up. Um, and as the question that he has is, and it, it's secret from his wife, I gather, but his wife, as he says, does not really approve of this. So he does keep it seek, secret from her. He may just sense that she doesn't approve of it or she wouldn't approve of it. And, and I imagine a lot of women would have a problem with it. Um, but if they understood it, and that's why what I'm trying to do here is to educate people so they have an understanding so there's less judgment and less shame and less embarrassment and more so that we can live as ourselves, true to ourselves, to thine own self be true. And so he's asking, do I have any knowledge of where he might be able to get to meet other cross-dressers or advice on what he should do about dealing with this fantasy? Well put. He's, he also goes on to say, I am a happily married Man, yet this kinky side of me continues to exist. You are not alone. That's the first thing I want to say to you, John. Uh, and John also has uh, another name when he, uh, he is cross-dressing, and that's Mary Jean. So, John, this is this is a fantasy. A lot of people think it's related to anxiety. It is not. It There's a lot of men that cross-dress, quite honestly. I know a lot of them. Because they know that they can email me or call me and ask for advice. In fact, one, one time I put on an event called Hot Flash in the City, 
It was a perimenopausal and menopausal event at the Van City Theater. And the first person to respond to the poster that went out that we were having this event was a cross-dresser. And the cross the person who uh, goes by the name of Sally, when she goes out, emailed me and said, is this an appropriate place for Sally to go? And I know exactly why Sally wanted to go. Sally didn't need menopausal advice or perimenopausal advice. Sally wanted to hang out with women while dressed up in a short skirt and high heels and a wig and makeup and nails and the whole nine yards because Sally felt great um, dressing that way. Um, And I said, of course, Sally is more than welcome at this event. And men came to this event as well. We probably had like 20 men because it's also important for men to understand about women. So the more education, the better. So there are, just know that there are other cross-dressers out there. There are some websites um, that you can go to um, to meet other cross-dressers. So you can Google that. Um, and and the, the best thing is perhaps, but it may take a little while, you know, letting your wife know that this is, just educating her on it, that you're happily married, reassuring her on that. But when we live true to ourselves, we live the best possible. So thank you so much, John, for your email. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you got the nerve to email me because I'm really not that scary. Uh, (laughs) In fact, I'm too nice sometimes, he will tell me, and that can be a weakness. Anyway, we're going to move on to the next subject covered that. There was something else I wanted to say. Anyway, uh, the next subject about avoidant attachment disorder. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of, um, not a lot of diagnoses in the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychiatric Disorders, because sexual health and sexual dysfunction disorders, sexual disorders, I should say, sexual health disorders and sexual dysfunction fall under the departments of psychiatry often, and they are in the that diagnostic manual, which is a manual of psychiatric disorders. So there's there's lots of different disorders. Female sexual arousal disorder, low sexual, arou- low sexual desire, anorgasmia, sexual aversion disorder. And there's also this avoidant attachment disorder. So the question is, when someone gets close to you romantically, do you feel suffocated and try to pers- push that person away? Do you try and sabotage this in a way? If so, you may have that avoidant attachment style that I was, I'm talking about right now. Or you, when you start, you meet somebody and you start developing feelings for somebody, you may experience major anxiety when that person is not around. So not hearing from that person who you have started to develop feelings for may bring out your fear of rejection and abandonment. So you may freak out. If you experience this, you may have an anxious attachment style that allegedly goes back to when you were a young child. So many attachment theorists believe that by the age of five, the developmental age of five, we develop a primary attachment style that will more or less define the way we attach in relationships later in life and how we emotionally bond to other people. You see how people react to other people and in certain situations. They panic. If somebody doesn't come home on time, they panic or or they worry about somebody getting to a, a particular place or or they if someone is late and, and maybe they are typically late, then they freak out. Maybe they're having uh, an affair or, or maybe they have 
died or something. So there are three primary attachment styles. There's the secure one, and of course, that's the best. Uh, And that's the person who's grown up in the absolutely perfectly functional family, which there are two of those in this country. Um, Then there's also the avoidant style, and there's the anxious style. So about half of the population, all kidding aside, actually falls into the secure attachment style category, which is good because they are comfortable with intimacy and they're not codependent. So they don't unhealthily rely on somebody else for them to feel good about life. They're independent. They can carry on. They're comfortable getting close to somebody. They're comfortable being vulnerable, exposing themselves. This can lead to uh, nice, intimate relationships, excellent sex, very pleasurable and satisfying sex. So secures do not define their identity or their self-esteem based on somebody else. So based on a lover's reinforcement. So they don't need this sort of approval or affirmation in a romantic relationship. They don't have abandonment issues because for the most part, their upbringing was secure and they could rely on people and they give and, and receive care comfortably. It's also important that you receive care. So receiving in a sexual relationship, in an intimate relationship, is equally as important as giving. And some people have a difficult time with that. People with an avoidant attachment style create this narrative at, a, at an early age. Their needs generally cannot be met or, they, uh, or it's unreliable. You see this with kids who come from alcoholic families or um, gambling families or somebody that has perhaps has a, a mental illness or even a, a physical, medical condition. And so there's unreliability, inconsistency there. So they shut off from intimacy to avoid ever depending on anybody. They figure they can never depend. They've given up before they've started. They are fiercely independent, and they subconsciously fear that if they let somebody get too close to them, they will get hurt. And so therefore, they do not ever allow anybody in. They can carry on by themselves. So to that end, intimacy means a loss of that fierce independence that they have. So they have difficulty with intimacy. So if you're the type that constantly needs to be by yourself, go to your she shed, retreat to your man cave, you may fall into this category where you aren't fully vulnerable and present uh, in the relationship. The third attachment style is anxious. I was talking to one of the docs that I work with, that I've worked with for a number of years, and we were talking about flying, and we were flying together, and we were talking about how we both fall asleep on the plane as soon as it, uh, before it leaves the tarmac, as soon as the gates closed, and how um, just certain, you know, driving, and just how how paralyzing anxiety can be for people. And I made the statement that, you know, they'll get to the age of 80 and they'll turn back and think, I wish I had gone on that trip. I wish I wasn't afraid of flying or I wish I had done this or I I wish I had gone back to school. They have a fear of of whatever and, and they are paralyzed in life to enjoy life and to enjoy a great sex life. And he said they'll never get there. They will never get to that stage because they will, unless they treat the anxiety They'll, they'll never look back thinking, I wish I had done that. So this third attachment style, which is anxious, is a, is a very difficult one. And they likely endured that extremely inconsistent caregiving. And they fear rejection, and they often worry about their partner's ability to love them back. You've heard it, or you've, you've said the words to yourself. 
He or she could never love me. Why would they love me? And in fact, when they're triggered, they engage in this protest behavior, sort of this sabotage behavior. So, for example, if you don't hear from your partner all day or your lover, I, I know people who have told me that they are having an affair and they don't hear from somebody and they are anxious until they hear from that person. It's almost borderline addiction. Um, and therefore, that's when women and women, one place women use power. And I, and I really feel women need to be educated better about strategy and power. But one place they use power is the bedroom. And so the reaction to not hearing from a partner all day, you know, maybe uh, punishing that person, or if it's a man, you're punishing him by not having sex with him. And that is a common uh, response that, that occurs. So, so that's really something to look at. If you do do that, that's really unhealthy. And you might look back and look at your attachment style. You may avoid his calls or avoid him entirely or, you know, retreat to your she shed. Or if it's a, a woman who has done this to you, so to speak, you'll avoid her uh, and go off to your man cave. You may actually, and, and anxiety underlies this, so you may become frantic. You may repeatedly call this person or repeatedly text this person over and over again. And this is something you cannot help until you are made aware of this because it's deeply ingrained in your subconscious. And your reaction, you, it's almost like it's an automatic uh, autopilot. Here it comes, late 15 minutes late, boom, the texting begins, the calls begin, the frantic calls to the hospitals, whatever. And opposites attract in these attachment styles. And so that may not be all that great either. And so anyway, what does all of this mean for your relationships? As I said, the secure style is great, but you fall into the anxious or the avoidant categories. You want to be able to become emotionally healthy and secure in the way you bond with somebody else. So you must recognize your primary attachment style and be, you know, admit to yourself there's nothing wrong. There, There's no flaws in being the way you are, but there's flaws, I think, when you don't work to improve that, especially if, if it is having a negative impact on your life. So you've got to recognize what triggers you, what protest behavior you react with when triggered, and you identify these that when you're acting destructively, and it can destroy a relationship, and recognize that they're old habits from childhood, and you need to start changing them, and it's through repetition that you build good new habits, and you'll live a healthier life and appreciate that. And anyway, when I come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the porn and improving your relationship. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. I host the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show that you are listening to. Listen, anybody who's called and is coming to the pornography, helpful or hurtful, at the Railway Club on Wednesday night and is deserving of a beer and burger, uh, if you've called, can you do me a favor and go to the website, go to Eventbrite and sign up for that event, uh, please? So it's called Pornography Har- Hurtful or Harmful, or Helpful or Hurtful, um, Wednesday, April 29th, 6.30 p.m. So just go and sign up so they know how many people are coming. So that always helps to plan. Now I want to tell you a story about a patient because I, I said I was going to come back and talk about porn. And, I, and because probably we've been talking about this event Lately, I get a lot of questions about it, and patients come to my office, and they want to know how to introduce porn into the bedroom, or they want to know if porn is going to help them because they have a problem with attraction or low sexual desire. And I see so many women who have low sexual desire, but, you know, every now and again, a man comes in. He's completely honest. He's, he is un 
he's just broken open. He's unplugged, tells it like it is. And I was really struck by this particular story because I think that this happens a lot and people don't say it and they keep it secret and then they're ashamed about it and they wish they had done something else. And, and regret is tough to live with in life. And I will, my patient's name was Stephen. And uh, I would warn against this, but nonetheless, Stephen's been married about 15 years. And he went to a family event with a woman about 16 years ago, I guess. And she was, she's attractive. She's smart. She's, you know, ticks all the boxes. She comes from a wealthy family. She's a nice person. And he was at the wedding with her and a, a relative said, so who's this? Who's this woman? He said, oh, you know, I've been kind of seeing her here and there. You know, she's nice and I enjoy her company and her conversation and she's smart. And, and, uh, and the family relative said, oh, yeah, she's lovely. And, you know, she sounds great. And he said, but, you know, I'm really not that attracted to her. And he said, there's this other woman, you know, but she's, he said, I'm wildly attracted to her, but she's a bit rough around the edges and, and she's, she's nice as well. And she doesn't come from the wealthy family. And, but, you know, I'm more drawn to her. She's not the same religion. They were, um, it was a Jewish family. And he said, but she's the one I would like to be, you know, that, that I would, really like to spend my time with. I'm so attracted to her and I just am intrigued by her. And, and he, the relative said, let me give you some advice. And he said, and, and the, he was about 27 years old, I think at the time, 27, 28, still impressionable, my opinion. Anyway. And he said, this woman, the one who comes from a nice family, is an, is an intellect. Is she's going to make you? She's going to make you. She's going to be a good wife. She's going to be a good mother to your children. She's smart. She's going to be able to balance your checkbook. She is going to be able to represent the family well, and she's from a wealthy family. And he said the other one, she's a bit rough around the edges. You know, she may not be able to deal with the problems that you have. Um, you know, she's not of the same faith. It's really, I would advise you to go with the intel- the intelligent, attractive woman that's from the wealthy family. And I, I said to him at some point during this assessment, I would not have advised that. And because I knew I would have known, he would have ended up in my office <laughs> some. 15 years later, which is exactly where he landed. And so he's now with this woman, and he's suboptimally happy. Eh, they have three kids. That's a problem. Uh, in, in a way, not really. Of course, he loves his children. and But he has never had the sexual attraction to her. They've never had the that un, un, descri- indescribable intimacy, pleasure, excitement, wild romp in the hay, as he said. It's just everything else is okay, ticks along, looks great to everybody else. But for him, he feels, and he, and he thinks about this other woman, and he, and he hasn't seen her, but he's thinking about seeing her because he's really dissatisfied in this. And I think this happens a lot. And I would argue that in a relationship, sexual attraction is number one. 
especially if you're going to stay with that person for any length of time. And that should be the cornerstone of the relationship, not what your family thinks, not if your mother approves of this person, not if they're the same faith or not, not if the socioeconomic status is the same. All of that should be put aside. And in, and in fact, on Tinder, for example, they actually profile your Facebook profile or they, they look at your Facebook profile and your LinkedIn and, and they try and pair you up uh, with people who are in your same age category and same socioeconomic status. And I just don't think that that is what love and attraction and lust is all about. I really think we underestimate. Of course, I do host a sex show, so I'm a little bit biased, but we underestimate that attraction. Anyway, when I come back, we're going to talk. I'm going to tell you what's coming up on the program. Uh, tell you a little idea on how to introduce a sex toy into your bedroom. He thought that might help things. You know, it might. Anyway, but uh, if the basis isn't there, it just might not. But uh, it helps when people get bored in their relationship sexually. But anyway, I'm going to tell you where I'm going to be and who's going to come on the program. And I'm awfully excited about that because I met a lot of uh, great people this weekend at the Western Society of Pelvic Medicine Conference in Calgary. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Saving you from yourself. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Um, The email that I read earlier, which was from John... Uh, about cross-dressing, and he wanted to know where he could meet other people. There's a Vancouver-based organization, John. It's called TransAllianceSociety.org. So you may check that out. I will email you that response. Uh, Also, I get a lot of people think, well, talking about bringing toys in the bedroom. How do we do that? How can we make that comfortable? What's the best way to introduce toys into the bedroom, especially for people who have never used toys before? Never too late to use a vibrator or use toys. But I think in a couple, it might be nice to bring in a toy that benefits both of you. So to that end, I recommend a couple's vibrator. There's lots of different ones on the market. I think this is really good, especially if you're the shy type, because, you know, it always works when, well, if you'll do it, I'll do it. Anyway, a lot of couples have said couples vibes have changed their life because there's a number of different ones and it's fun and she wears it during sex and together you share the vibe. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, Met a lot of talent at the uh, WSPM. I want to tell you about some of the subjects we're going to be talking about coming up on the show. Um, Dr. Dwayne Hickling from the University of Ottawa is going to dispel all those bathroom and bedroom myths that we've been living with. We women have been living with for a long time. He was a great speaker. Also, John Geppert from the Mayo Clinic. Uh, he presented an amazing talk about constructing a neo-vagina. It's rare, but it's a fascinating subject. He's going to join me in the, in the uh, coming weeks. But last but certainly not least, and I love this, he was a basic scientist, and don't let that designation fool you. The guy is a PhD, and he's brilliant and funny. He was a great presenter. But the best part is that his wife, and she's an OBGYN resident, they do this together. Uh, he has a hypothesis, and she does the surgery, and it's a contri- contribution uh, to medical science. And they, she fil- he films, and she narrates, and she performs the surgery. She performed surgery on a rat. Anyway, that'll be awfully exciting. I'm uh, speaking at a number of events this spring. Uh, but I don't really have time, so you can go to my website, www.backtothebedroom.ca. My blog is there. You can follow me on Twitter, at Back the Number 2, The Bedroom. Remember, when you fall on this gravel road of life, and we all do, make it part of your dance. I'm Maureen McGrath. You've been listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Until next week, if you want to, 
if you like to, have great sex. If you're having sex, if you're not having sex and you want to, just have sex, but make it good because it can be fun. No, make it great. Anyway, there's always room for improvement, especially in the bedroom. Until next week, I'm Maureen McGrath, and thank you so much for being here with me tonight.